Welcome to the Power of Property podcast. I am your host, Ellie Mackay, a property investor and developer. And this podcast is for anyone who shares my passion for property. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, I want to take you to the next level. I'm going to be bringing some real chat with some of the UK's leading property entrepreneurs. We'll be sharing wisdom and industry insights without any of the BS. Property's absolutely transformed my life and I know it has the potential to change yours too. Enjoy. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of The Power of Property. Now this one's really impromptu and I'm going to tell you why. I'm joined by an absolute superstar. He's a good friend of mine. Um, it's the fabulous Steve Hans. So welcome and thank you for being a, a guest at very short notice firstly, Steve. Thank you, Ellie. No, it's great to be here. And um, I, I, yeah, I'm excited about this. Very impromptu. So uh I don't even know what you're going to ask me. So, yeah. well, I don't know because it's not a special thing. But the, these are the absolute best ones, Steve. Because you know, I I know you on a personal level, and I know that you know a bit a bit about your backstory and some of the things that you've had to overcome over the last twelve to eighteen months. And although this podcast is very much about property and your experience within property as well, um, I think the two very much go hand in hand because. As you know, I'm always whittling on about your business can only grow at the same extent that you do. And whilst that's not exclusive to uh, property, it, it certainly is inclusive um, of, of, of property. So so let's just start off with mm -hmm. a little bit of your background. Tell the listeners um, what what you do professionally, a little bit about your your brokerage and um, mm -hmm. who you are as a professional. And then we'll we'll, we'll go backwards. OK, great. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, in property finance. So uh, we started off, well, in the year 2000, I became a mortgage advisor for somebody else for, mm -hmm. for a few years and then um, learned a lot, went down to Birmingham for a few years to manage the office there. There was a failing office that was bottom of the company pile and the owner wanted me to figure out what the problem was and, and to get it you know, back on track. It wasn't that difficult because what I found was that the manager was having, uh, he was turning in late and then he was having two hour lunches in the pub <laughs> with <laughs> several, several beers. And then he'd come back, the staff were kind of like lackluster following his lead and then then he'd disappear early. So really what, what I injected into that was just work ethic more than anything. And then just being a kind of a rallying the troops, you know, motivating the troops and getting back on track. So within two years, that was then second in the company. And we, we got paid a nice bonus, but the the owner did manipulate the figures, you know, one of those. So we, we lost a little bit of trust mm -hmm. and decided in 2004, myself and Paul Rawson, that we would set up our own brokerage. So I moved back up north to the northwest and... Uh, not looked back since it's been a roller coaster ride but uh 2004 we set up our brokerage and yeah buy to let main residences and then you naturally get into the more specialist forms of finance like the bridging development commercial all that stuff as well so i, I do feel very fortunate to who i'm working with on a day-to-day -day basis it's great is it really bad that when you're talking about your old manager i'm just thinking he seems like he's got the work-life balance sorted <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's a part of me that we say this all the time, Paul and I, that I'd like to be one of those people that could just bounce off the walls, not give a toss, you know, and have a beer here and there in the week. But 
for whatever reason, I'm not that way, you know. <laughs> no. So. <laughs> no, you know, in reality, not many high-performance people are at the pub for two hours on a Monday lunchtime, let's be honest. But, um, yeah, no, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Where <laughs> Because... No, I'll not go off on a tangent straight away because I want to hear a little bit more about your um your your backstory. But I know you and I have actually spoke about this exact topic before a little bit about the the work life balance and whether or not it actually exists. And I think it's something mm. that um as as entrepreneurs and um as business leaders and employers, it's it's a and also family people as well. You know, husbands yeah. and wife and parents, mums and dads. You know, it's um it's this continual shift of um, trying to keep all the balls in the air at the same time. Um, so so we will go into that. But 2014, so you've set up the brokerage. How did you meet? So you mentioned Paul Ross, and that's your business partner. Yeah. How did you meet Paul? How did that relationship um, come together? Did you both work together at the previous company? Yeah, so Paul, I, uh, from St. Helens, grew up in, in St. Helens there. And that my first proper job in mortgages was at the docks in Liverpool. And uh, Paul was the manager in that branch. And the way the big boss uh, kind of sold to me was, uh, you see this guy here, he's, uh, you know, we found out what I like, what excited me. And then he says, see this guy here, he's living in one of these Dockland apartments and he's driving a nice BMW and uh, blah, blah, blah. And kind of sold me the dream in that way. And he'd, he'd only been working there a year. So that hooked me in because I was motivated by cars and, and you know, nice lifestyle, etc. So Paul actually started off as my boss. And then when I went to manage Birmingham, uh, Paul was area manager, and he had that side of the country, he had one of the branches there. So we've worked quite closely. And uh, even though at times, I call him a <coughs> wanker. I don't know if I can swear on this. But <laughs> Come on, you know me better than that, Steve. <laughs> All right, yeah. I would call him a wanker under under my breath. And actually to his face a couple of times. But, we, we you know, it's all in, in jest as well because his management style is very different to mine. And, um, and I felt that at times it was quite sort of heavy-handed. And when, as you'll know, when you're a motivated individual, when you drag yourself out of bed at the crack of dawn, you don't really need somebody on your shoulder all the time. So I just had to give him that reassurance that, look, Paul, I'm motivated to get results. Don't worry, you know, I'm going to do it kind of thing. So we, we did, we had a good relationship. Um, and I think that's important when you can have the crack and take the mick and, you, you know, say things that you wouldn't do to a stranger. Um, you know that you can, because it's like a marriage, isn't it? You can work quite closely together. So Paul and I have been through some right trials and tribulations over the years and we're still here in 2021 together and uh yeah it's uh, it's been good so it was that kind of manager um employee relationship to begin with which is something i've had to overcome because he was like my immediate boss if you like and then suddenly in 2004 you're on par so mm. the, there was a little bit of the jostling for position at times but no it's it's kind of it's worked out nicely I absolutely love that. And, you know, to, to, to take us back to present day, I think I'm right in saying you now have 20 staff that work, mm. um, you know, directly for you guys. You're scaling quite rapidly. Yeah, the, the last uh, last year especially has been uh, has been good. So COVID to us has been pretty good. Um, I, I guess there's that initial two months or so, which was scary. And then after that, we just thought, right, 
you know, it's shit or bust. Let's let's really like do something. And I think, as you'll know, Ellie, we've been through that litigation with an ex-director. And when you go through something like that, uh, one thing it does teach you is, or can teach you, is um, is letting go. And so that that was something that was really important to me, just letting go and trusting in in life and the process. And um, yeah, that, that's what we've done. And um, I think that w- with that relationship with Andy and going through the litigation, it, it also showed me to have compassion for my fellow man, even though he was getting the barristers on us and it was all going to, you know, to the courts and stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's taught me a lot. Well, let, let's give the listeners a bit of context um, w- with this because th- th- this will be something, you know, that's played a massive part in shaping you as a person and the decisions that you've made with Paul and where you are today as a business. But you mentioned a, a previous business partner, partner and, and the litigation. So talk us through um, the whole scenario from start to finish. What happened? How long had you been in business for? What went wrong? Uh, and what was the outcome? Okay, so uh, yeah, 2004, of course, we set up. Uh, had We started from scratch. You wouldn't have taken any clients from our old boss because he, he would have had your kneecaps. So, <laughs> But we wouldn't have done that anyway, you know. And we started from scratch. So 2007, there was a good three years there of building the business. And then in 2008, when Lehman's Brothers went down i think it was and caused the the sort of credit crunch um that's when yeah things started to um have have quite a big impact and you notice the revenue coming into the company was the inquiries were still there but um there wasn't a product at the end of it because banks weren't weren't lending so the combination of the credit crunch and the great recession of sort of 2008 9 10 that era was very challenging for us but i think because we've always looked after our customers we've always put the customer first people stayed with us you know so we were able to keep going but we felt that we were a little bit rudderless and we needed uh, uh, someone else to kind of partly inject a bit of pace but partly to take us in a different direction so we took on board andy uh, the, the director at the time and his skill set was different than ours. So he'd uh, accountancy background, he'd worked with multiplying businesses and stuff um, before as a recruitment consultant. It was his recruitment business. And so we thought, great, we want to scale this thing. Let, let's let's go for it. And, and it started off quite well. Uh, the first year or two was good. So this is a great sort of teaching to anyone that gets into business with another director and uh, you know the trials and tribulations with that and uh what actually happened was he he was very determined in the in the early days but he put quite a lot pretty much all his own money into the hook group and so he became like a decent shareholder and the hook group um struggled at first but then it really took off and so in about 2012 he knew he was going to be a pretty wealthy man and he you know, he just switched off as a lot of people would do, but he stayed in the business, taking his salary and dividends and, you know, didn't want to give that up. Arguably what he should have done is said, look guys, I'm checking out, not for me. Do you want to buy me out? But that didn't happen. So 
the relationship just became quite strained. We were frustrated because we were at the coalface. We were working, trying to grow this thing. Andy was coming in, just messing about, playing on his computer, looking at Formula One, various things like that. And in about, this went on for some time. And in about 2015, um, Andy, it started getting really fractious. And um, yeah, it, within a year or two of that day, then uh, he looked for a reason to kick one of us out of the business. So he decided that he wanted to take over the business. So that there was quite a lot of manipulation. He'd got his wife on board as well and some friends. So it was kind of like we were being ousted from our own company, which was, which was just very scary at the time, frustrating. There's all sorts of emotions going on, anger, um, you know, I've been very close to walking into his room and just punching him. You know, you've got to hold all those things back. And um, yeah, over over that period, so he he found a reason to kick Paul Rawson out of the, the business. I bought into it, believed him. Turned out that that wasn't the case, um, what Paul had done. And there was lawyers involved from, from that period for about three years. Mm -hmm. um, one day, Paul sent me this text, and as it happens, Andy was on holiday, and he said, have you seen this, Steve? Um, I'm restricted to what detail I can go into, but mm -hmm. it, it was just quite shocking. And, and so Paul came back into the office. I'd been off for a month with, with stress and high blood pressure because the whole thing was, you know, really affecting me. And um, it was that point that we got the company back. It was April, I think it was, 2018. And, uh, and then we, we didn't let him back in. Mm -hmm. And that's when the litigation sort of went to a new level. And all in all, to cut, to cut a long story short, it cost us a significant six-figure sum to fight him and get rid of him. But because he had deep pockets, he was using that against us. Mm -hmm. And for a, a relatively small company, there was only 12 of us at the time, uh, he... He onboarded a barrister and he threatened to take us to high court. We got the high court letters through and we just thought, guys, we're fighting over a paper bag, really. You know, the sums involved. And the lawyers were saying this to us, you know, it's, it's really not worth fighting over this. But of course, what he was trying to do was smother us. Our incomes at the time were, were a lot smaller because, you know, we we're paying legal bills and the company wasn't growing. And um, yeah, it just... Um, that, that was his game plan to kind of strangle us, if you like. And uh, and then we'd have to give him the company or sell our shares. But as fate would have it, he, um, what, what happened? Yeah, he was on holiday. Um, something else came out of the woodwork. We were building a case. He couldn't remember the lies he was telling. So we were building up this case in, in case it did go to court. And our lawyers were convinced that, um, you know, he, he wouldn't win anyway, but you never know. So in the end, uh, we mediated, and that was in September 2020. And uh, yeah, it's when when the the mediators. I don't know if you've ever been through anything like this, but when, when you sat there with the uh, there's about five of us on this Zoom, and uh, actually six. Yeah, there's Paul, Andy, and I. We each had our lawyers, and then there was a mediator guy. And it's when he said to us, um, "Right, guys, a win for you two." is, is going to cost you a six-figure sum. If you go to high court and win, it's still going to cost you a six-figure sum. 
So, and what he's trying to do is drive the price up. So we pay Andy off, you know, this amount. The company was worth like next to nothing. We should have paid like 20 grand or something, but we had to pay a six figure sum to, to draw a line under it. A loss would have cost us, you know, half a million quid, which, which to some, you know, some people in business, of course, that's next to nothing. It's loose change. But to a small company, when you, you know, that would have meant selling the home, the family home. Um, it would have meant, yeah, it would have really affected us. So it was at that time that I just thought, do you know what? I can't control any of this. I can't, I really can't control. So I just, you know, let go with it, put my faith in the, the, the powers that be, life, the universe, call it what you will. And, uh, and thought, let's just trust, let's really trust. And, and that was it. Um, we mediated, drew a line under it. And of course, Paul McFadden, who we both know, Paul had been helping me out through this, this challenging period. And uh, Paul now has come on board as a, as a third shareholder because we've seen the value in what Paul can add to the business. And it's been growing, you know, ever since, moving up nicely ever since. Do, do you think then, you know, you were saying at one point, you felt like you were arguing over a paper bag because you know, the, the, there wasn't the money in the business. Was it a matter of principle at that point? I think so. All sorts of emotions come through into your head and, and part of you, you, you know, you, you're really ang angry, you're really annoyed at it because we knew and truly believed that he was just swinging the lead mm -hmm. and uh, not interested in our company anymore. And yet we had to pay this guy to, to leave. And this was on top of having to pay his, his wife off as well, which was something else that had been drummed up to, uh, to cause chaos. So we, we did feel really aggrieved at that, but I, I was really trying to work hard to look at the bigger picture and and tell myself that, um, you, you know, we're, we're paying this amount of money, this six-figure sum, but if we truly believe in ourselves that we can grow this company to a seven, eight-figure-plus business, then it will be small change in, in time to come. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the story I was telling myself. And, you know, at, at that time, we weren't a seven-figure business. Um, we're a seven figure business now, but only just, and, you know, I, I do truly believe this decade we'll, we'll get to be an eight figure business. So that, that's loose change, if you like, for somebody that's an eight figure business owner. Um, that's the way you've cut, well, that's the way I had to, uh, assimilate it in my mind to, to sort of cope with it, if you like. No, I. I absolutely get that. And it was interesting, you made a point earlier about saying that you had learned compassion, which yeah. that's a hell of a transition for somebody who's who's going through all of that because it's all consuming. I know in 2016, in your experiences went on significantly longer, but in 2016 with um, our electrical business, it came down to the wire whether or not we were going to be able to keep trading. And, you know, we, we were having these fears and pressures about whether we were going to be able to maintain our own family home and keep a roof over. I think we, ju we just had um, one child at that, that that time. And unless anyone's actually experienced that, it's quite a diff difficult thing to, to articulate. But, you know, you're not sleeping, you're waking up with heart palpitations, you're, you know, you're not eating, it's, it's, you're just doing whatever it takes to kind of get through the day. You're in survival mode and you're certainly not mm. thinking about 
the sort of things that you were clearly working on now in order to to have already scaled within a short space of time to a seven figure business and the the trajectory you're on is undisputable but you know you invest in marketing you invest in all the other things uh, your infrastructure but you're certainly not doing that when you're trying to keep the wheels from the door no and and uh, i remember that period there was about two years where we didn't pay ourselves and Fortunately, we've got a small buy-to-let portfolio, so that was bringing a bit of income in. Uh, at the time, Jane wasn't working, so we're kind of living off savings and stuff. So, uh, yeah, all these all these thoughts are going through your head. So, you, I think you have to keep something greater than yourself in mind. And, uh, you, you know, I don't think I would have coped if it wasn't for, like, years ago, I started meditating. Mm-hmm. And it was about 2012 when I was drawn to yoga um, through a rugby injury. And... Uh, nothing had solved this problem physio all sorts and i was drawn to yoga and within 18 months yoga solved it so i promised myself i'd keep doing yoga to you know sort my back and my hamstrings out but when you get into that kind of thing quite often you you end up moving into meditation and uh and so the breath work i do consistently in the meditation i think helped me get through that period massively wow that's really interesting and you, you mentioned as well about putting trust in you know the 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 system and we're not really talking about the legal system we're talking about the 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 universe you know the god whatever you want to call it but you you mentioned your 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 good wife jane then who get my words out good wife jane there who's also a friend of mine but there's a hell of a lot of trust from her part and whether paul's got a partner or a wife as well because Mm -hmm. it wasn't just your family home you know these decisions have a ripple effect and was that support integral to you you know getting through transitioning through those challenging few years yeah yeah ma- massive um i should really say laura jane because that's how she's known <laughs> out there in social but uh we're, we're terrible you're worse because it's your wife but... <laughs> i still call her jane or, or bob but um, no it's um that's massively helped i did feel a lot of guilt at the time because i knew the stress that she was under and i felt that you know, why am I still doing this? Why am I still doing And she'd say to me at times, you know, why are you still doing this? And uh, I couldn't really answer it. I just felt like I've always had this determination. Stubbornness. Stubbornness, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, not that I'm comparing myself with Michael Schumacher. He's a god. But, you know, last night we watched the Michael Schumacher thing documentary. Yeah. I've not watched it before. And I, I watched him a lot growing up in, in the racing as you as somebody of my age would have done and uh but you see you see snippets at least of of your personality don't you in in somebody mm-hmm. and and when you see the determination why did he race with ferrari for like for his fifth season and didn't win um you know because he, he wanted that challenge and he believed in it he, he believed he could he could be world champion racing for that that um manufacturer and i think that with me, it's just a case of I think no, I, I know I can do this, and I've I've got to got to keep going because there will be a greater good at the end of it. And uh, this is just a small snippet in time. The pain is temporary, and uh, you know, the the sweet success will be even greater down the line if I if I just get through this period. Yeah, you know what, and and anyone who's listening who has been through this will resonate with that because we had a very similar moment in two thousand and sixteen we um and it, it was a choice it wasn't just the two marks the business partners it was the the wives as well because as we've just said there it has a, a massive impact on on absolutely everyone it was a horrendous time for 
for all parties. But when they made the decision, and it was a decision to keep trading, the definition of success significantly changed because they, they were they're electricians by trade. They've always uh, earned reasonably good money, albeit, you know, as a, a tradesperson. Ten, I mean, this is 10 years ago. You're, you're talking about when they were they were on the tools, but they were earning 60, 70 grand a year. But there was a consequence to that. They had to work long hours. They were working away. But, you know, in the north of England, that's not, by a lot of people's standards, considered a, a shabby salary and there was a moment in 2016 where they thought you know is it worth the hassle do we do we just go back to getting the drills back out and going on the tools and we thought no there's no fucking way we've been through everything that we've been through up until that point to not make a success of ourselves and our definition and we we know you know caveat we know success isn't just about business and money in the bank but in the context of, of what we're talking about here our definition of success significantly changed. You know, we raised the bar for ourselves. And and, and and it's that whole classic thing of channeling the pain into power. And it's something that that I'm quite fascinated with because th- this might sound a little bit controversial, but I don't think it's that difficult to make money. But I think at some point, the majority of businesses or, or people or individuals hit a stumbling block and and they can get wiped out or they can almost get wiped out. And I think where we get to the true grit, the true character of somebody, it's seeing how they deal with that adversity and how they potentially pick themselves back up. And I think that is what, um, that is definitely what differentiates the really successful people to, you know, sort of I don't know perhaps just a, a mid six-figure business owner which by again most people's standards is is considered successful so so can, I'll just say there before everyone starts commenting and telling me I'm a capitalist and this that and the other you know we all have our um which I probably am but that's fine um, yeah let's be honest let's call it speed speed we all have different standards and goal for ourselves. Like we, we've both done property education, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we've got massive aspirations. However, that, that doesn't mean someone's wrong who goes on the same training and, and wants to do, uh, you know, two buy to flips a year or wants to have four or five properties in their portfolio. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of people say that they want to be really successful. You know, they they, they want the insta lifestyle. They want the material wealth. But they're not necessarily willing to do what it takes. And, and it's not just in terms of the graft. I think it's the bit that a lot of people are un, un, underprepared for. Mm-hmm. is the mental resilience that's required to do business. Yeah, yeah, massive. And I think that a lot of people, like you say, mid-six figures, there's, there's plenty of businesses uh, like that, and people get comfy, and you, you get to a, a nice lifestyle where you can, you know, you got the two or three cars, you've got the, the, the detached home, whatever, in a nice neighbourhood, um, and, and people just can't on the holidays, and, and they get settled and they don't want to risk that or in their heads, they feel they're risking that for something even greater. But I think it's got to be more than that. And for me, it's like, yes, I like nice things. I'm a bit of a petrol head. Um, I want to live in a nice neighborhood. I'm passionate about good education for Bodhi. And, um, but it's more than that. It's about, it is being the best version of myself. And, you, you know, it's something that 
I've read quite a bit about Robin Sharma, followed him for about a decade, and he has this thing called the deathbed analysis. And I like that a lot because, which, as it suggests, you look back when you're an old person, hopefully you get to that age, and uh, on your deathbed and think, do I regret what I've, my, my last 70, 80, 90, whatever years, um, what would I have changed? Did I really go out and play all out? And and I think that's that's really important to me. Yeah, it is very interesting because there will come a point where money becomes irrelevant. And it certainly isn't the thing that motivates me to get out of bed in the morning. It's absolutely you want that financial freedom. You want the options that, that money can buy. And whilst people might argue that money doesn't make you happy, having had money and also having not had money, I can definitely say that I would prefer to have money you know I'm, I'm, I'm spe speaking from personal experience here we've had the bailiffs at the door when I was growing up my parents again we were those people we had the the fancy house the nice car the five-star holidays and then we lost it all you know we had to move into to a council house and and, and literally had bailiffs at the door uh, anyone who says that that's not a, st a stressful situation you know the they're the, 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 they're deluded you know they're they're absolutely deluded but success is about so, so, so much more than money in the bank. Mm. But it, it's if you're playing a game, and if life's a game, but business is a game, you want to, it's not about winning and beating other people, but it's about making sure, like you just said, that you are playing the game to the best of your ability, that you are becoming the best version of yourself and that's where the the mastery comes in and you mentioned the other things as well Steve and I know this is a property podcast but I do think it's relevant you know you mentioned the breath words you mentioned the the yoga you mentioned the, the meditation because yeah. it's this, this isn't a happy clappy bullshit and and even though you you've overcome a lot of adversity day-to-day -day business is challenging it's a roller coaster the reason that all these memes and social media get so much engagement is because we can relate to them you know you can be yeah. You know, you can be up and down and up and down and up and down. And, and that's before breakfast. That is the reality. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we need to build the tools and and that mental, mental resilience again mm -hmm. to be able to cope with whatever life uh, chucks us, not just cope with it, but to, but to thrive against adversity and still be able to, to step up and lead our teams. Yeah, definitely. Ma massively. So leading is really important to me as well and uh, how I'm coaching my staff and the lessons that uh, that I'm teaching them as well. So that that all comes part of it. And I think that like somebody might ask the question, well, what makes people this way? And there's, there's various answers to that, of course. And a lot of it does come down to your childhood experiences. But I think there's a big correlation between sport and business. I've said this for a long time and it's and it's no secret out there. And, and if you can get this is just one outlet, but as kids, if kids can get involved in sport and, and compete, you know, healthy competition, then it just brings something out in them that transfers into the business world or whatever they go into in later life. So starting young, and I was fortunate that I had a, a brother that was a year older than me. So anyone with siblings that's like, like that, it, you know, you can get on well with them or, or you don't. I didn't get on that well with my older brother, but what he did do was make me uh, very competitive so I have to thank him for that. Um, and, and that's then transferred into other areas of my life. Yeah, it's really interesting because when I um, initially set up my On The Mission podcast, 
in my head, I was thinking, I'm just going to get lots of like successful entrepreneurs, business owners and things like that. And, and actually, I realized very quickly that the attributes of the top performing sports people are just like, well, not just sports, I suppose, it, the disciplines that are required and the mindset that's required to get to the top of any profession. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just saw so many common denominators. It's, it's interesting that, that you made that link as well. But something else you, you mentioned, and, and obviously this is a property podcast, you mentioned that while you were going through your litigation and what have you, you'd already built up a small property portfolio, uh, portfolio which in, in essence saved your bacon when you were unable to take a salary from mm. your uh, business at the time. Um, at what point did you start getting into building your own portfolio so yeah that was um uh 2001 so that was the year after i started in mortgages um but yeah quite interesting the guy uh, who was was my manager um initially which was a guy called rob um sorry no paul was my manager for the first part rob was then my manager as paul went to area manager and and rob said to me i was about to buy this car and he said uh, steve why don't you consider this why don't you buy a property instead and i went i want the car rob and he said well <laughs> he said buy buy the property and the residual income that you get from that then you you can uh, you can use for your car loan or whatever don't don't use all your cash to buy a car and so that's what i did and within within a year i'd bought my first three properties and I wasn't that bothered about the car then. I was excited by the journey of acquiring assets. And uh, I did eventually treat myself to a, to a car. But yeah, I just started collecting properties as the years went by. But it was quite the slow traditional approach where you, I was creative in some ways. There was some no money down deals at the time. Um, but quite a number of them were the saving up the 20, 25% deposit uh, and doing it that way. So I, I learned quite a lot going on Paul's course, even though I'd been in mortgages for so many years. So it, yeah, fascinating. So, it, I mean, it was, it's brilliant. It's your classic rich dad, poor dad, isn't it? Just because, and this is the thing, just because people work in finance or work in mortgages or what have you, it doesn't mean that they necessarily know this stuff, which is it's now common knowledge really isn't it within our circles but I remember I can't remember what year I read to Rich Dad Poor Dad I think Mark was on the bandwagon a, a little bit before me and he started talking about leveraging finance and you know exactly what you're saying there rather than just going buying a car or what have you outright like we may have done historically how you could go and buy an asset and that can then pay for your car or your loan or whatever else and I was just I found it absolutely mind-blowing but as a man who works within the finance sector, does it frustrate you the lack of education around this in our schooling system and just like just the general public? Yeah, yeah, uh, a, a lot. I think in in school we're taught mathematics. I guess that's the closest, isn't it, to <laughs> to, to this? And some people will be naturally swayed that way. And um, but a lot of it comes from your own reading and your own mentors and your own peer group isn't it parents as well uh, as to what you'll get into and how quickly you can learn and um as, as an adult now I, I love telling the case studies the stories of what some of the the, the financial products that we arrange and, and people always amazed by it how you can leverage different things to acquire more assets 
and really scale up your property portfolio or if you're looking to do a development a commercial to residential conversion or, or whatever it may be there's there's always a way that's faster and you've got to you only know what you know don't you so if you know those people that can help you um build that wealth um do that commercial to resi conversion quicker than you otherwise would have done then that that's massively important and yes you need the courage and the tenacity and all the other things that go with it but assuming that you've got those and you're ready to take action once you've got that knowledge then you, you can move forward at a fair rate of knots within five years you can achieve a lot Wow. So that's it's interesting because uh, you were touching on there about the education and mentorship. Up until recently, had you had any coaches or mentors? Do you know? No. And it's funny because I have for sports yeah. and I've not for business. And uh, what what makes us so arrogant that we think that we, we can learn it ourselves or just from books? And there's a massive difference between reading a book and having a coach and a mentor. Uh, I think books are great and they should complement these things, but the value of having somebody in person to keep you accountable, to teach you what they've learned, which is unbelievably powerful because someone that's playing a game at a higher level than you are has probably been through all the mistakes that you're going to go through, faced many challenges, and you know you, you can leverage that. So if you can see past the cost of that mentor or coach or whatever it may be and think, let's look at the value rather than the cost, then, you know, there's magic in that. It's the path of, path of least resistance, isn't it? It's, um, you know, you, you get the counter argument that you can learn it all on YouTube and things like that. You know, you probably can if you know where to look and what order to apply things in and what, what bit of information to extract at the right time. But there's no community, there's no accountability, there's none of the other advantages um, that you get from having a, a coach or a mentor. I, I think I could be quite objective with this because I don't offer any sort of training or mentorship service myself. I'm just someone who pays for coaching and, and mentorship and training. And you know what? So, some mentorships I've, I've got more value from than others, but by and large, every, every penny I've spent, I've had it back tenfold and I'm a bit like you really like if I do anything I want a coach if I wanted to learn to play the guitar I, you know someone would teach me to do that wow. it's not I mean, why, why do we have PTs why do we have nutritionists surely it's a case of you know um eat less move more but of course it doesn't work like that we need a plan we need structure we need uh, accountability and all those other things that you just mentioned like when I was challenged to do my half marathon I couldn't run a bath, you know, so I've got a running coach, What, whatever it is, whatever aspect of your life that you want to learn about. Yeah. Um, I, I'm all up for finding somebody that you resonate with. Of course, do your due diligence on them. There's in any sector, this isn't exclusive to property, but, you know, maybe there is a disproportionately high amount in property. There, There is people who, you know, spend more time talking than they actually do doing and, and, and not everyone's going to align with your values. But if you find somebody you resonate with and, and you do your due diligence, then, you know, I, I would argue it's the, the best investment you can ever made, you know, providing you safeguard yourself. Oh, definitely. And and I love that, the, the ROI there, the return on investment being 10 times plus. And uh, going back to the Robin Sharma thing, Robin talks about 20 times is typically the return on investment when you make a commitment yourself. And I love that. So when I look at um, 
investing in somebody like a mentor rather than look at the cost and it's normally a fairly significant sum <laughs> because we all want to step up to the next level i i now process it in this way that um 20 times that figure is x therefore down the line as long as and the caveat is as long as i put the work in and fully commit then this is what's possible and when you think of things that way you, you just you act with fearlessness you know it's mm -hmm. it, it's a great it's a great mind uh, headspace to be in yeah i i absolutely love that so you've got the business now you've got 20 staff what kind of things are you working on what are your aspirations you know how, how do you plan on taking it to the next level so specialization um is is the word in my head at the moment whereby we've got got a number of advisors we've got a number of administrators and the advisors are great with buy to lets and residential mortgages they have been doing some specialized uh, financial products like bridging and development but they don't really want to do that which i'm quite glad at really because i would prefer all our staff to be great at what they do and to be great at what you do you need to reduce the number of tasks that you get involved with i believe so let them stick with the term products the buy to lets the main residences we've got a guy starting with us on monday who is brilliant at bridging and development and what we're going to do is grow that department so we're, we're going to we see the firm as like three separate entities where we've got the protection side because with yeah. you taking on debt you need protection and um so your life cover critical illness bills and contents all that stuff and then you've got the buy to let and main residence mortgages and then you've got the bridging and development and th this guy's really juiced like he he's no mug he, he doesn't just want to be an employee he wants partner status and he's told us that you know i wish i was his way at 27 but uh but he's great so i think he'll be a, a wonderful asset to the business and he'll help us grow that and you know what we will give him some kind of shareholding in that entity so that's going to keep him motivated for for years to come wow i absolutely love that and at the minute we're, we're in a bit of a bubble aren't we property prices are, are still pretty high the market is buoyant things are flying off the shelves so to speak what are your predictions now this will probably be going out as my first episode of 2022 so happy new year everybody mm. um what are your predictions i know you've not got crystal ball but it's not going to stop me asking you for 2022 2022 oh and it is a bit of guesswork this bit of educated guesswork i, I do think we'll see some further increases in 2022 but I, I will be surprised if the double digit increases. I, I, I will. Um, I, I would take an educated guess at around 5% on average as an increase in property values throughout 2022. I think um, all out there is from the various sectors of the economy, uh, the impact of interest rate rises probably won't be a great deal, but the impact of the other taxes that are going to have to increase that we all know on people's incomes um so i'm cheerfully optimistic i think 2022 will still be a good year uh, mm -hmm. but just single figure percentage growth uh the way that we see things is that if there's a downturn in the main residence market that's when more investors tend to come out and roughly half of our client base are investors half are main residence type customers Mm -hmm. So we sort of hedge ourselves that way. 
Um, as we get into 2023-45, I can't see there not being some sort of correction. Um, but what does the correction look like? Uh, that's the bit is difficult to, you know, to state. So I think you've just got to build your business in a way that protects you as best you can against these things. So imagine that there's a crash, imagine that there's a plateau or whatever, a slowdown. How can you react? And the bigger you get, the slower it is to, to make a change. So how can you best react? So you've got to, people talk about visualizing the ideal, but I think it's important to visualize the challenges as well. So uh, um, when a challenge hits, it's not a shock so much to you. It's like, ah, I've already experienced this, right? How did we how did we see ourselves reacting to this? And then do that accordingly. Yeah, you know what? It's very um, sound, solid advice there because the vision boards are, are one thing and that's great. You know, you, having a clear plan of where you want to go, I would encourage everybody to do that. But, you know, 2020, nobody had uh, COVID-19 on the vision board. And it, it, all you need to do is look every time Boris does an announcement like crypto crashes. And uh, th there's so many variables at the minute that we've never really had to factor in before. I mean, like, yes, we know that recessions are cyclical. So at, at some point every whatever eight ten years the market's gonna the property market tends to take a bit of a dip doesn't it but again it doesn't matter too much if you're if, if you're investing for for long-term wealth or you know it's relative if you're um, selling your family home for for more and you're buying another one for for, for more then you know it, it it's not as as dramatic as as the media tend to, to sort of make out a lot of the time but we are living in i hate this word but unprecedented times who knows what the hell's going to happen you know we're, we're, as we're closing in this year we've got countries around europe going into to lockdowns and things like that and um i think even the best economists are struggling to predict mm. the market at the moment yeah. aren't they yeah yeah definitely and, it, and it's not to say don't be don't be courageous or assertive aggressive in your moves you know you've got to you just got to plan for plan for a headache plan for a challenge hitting you yeah. what does that look like in your industry and, and how would you cope with it but you've got to you know you've got to ride the wave when things are going well you've uh, if you want to move forward and not just coast you, you've got to grab the bull by both horns and you know take those steps I, I get that and uh, is it Warren Buffett that says you'll know, be greedy where others are feel fearful and fearful when others are are greedy and um, when there was a lot of trepidation in the market in 2020 I think we, we kind of went out and bought about 20 houses you know we we, we had our best year and the, they all stacked so again obviously people need to know what they're doing but if we have a downturn if the market crashes that's not going to be I think where a lot of people perhaps get it wrong is they think that that's going to be almost an, an overnight process and even at the point of going into a recession like we did in 2008 the property market didn't start to bottom to like back into 2010 2011 and because mm -hmm. as you know steve i was caught right in the middle of it with our, our first um off-market development which which ended up being a, a complete disaster but it, you don't go into a recession and property prices plummet you know that that that's it, it can it takes years doesn't it because it, it, it's, it's based on an average so there there isn't as much certainly within the the, the terms of the property market as we're talking about now mm. um the, the, there isn't the need to be overly concerned 
No, that's right. And, and there's less volatility um, in property, of course, than equities. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not to say put all your money in property. You know, you've got to sort of balance things out as you see fit. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that, like, take the example there of 2008 to 2011 or so, when the prices just went down like that. It didn't happen overnight, you know. And when prices do go down like that, people aren't buying as much. They might, uh, the rents tend to go up. So you, you can win that way as a landlord. So, yeah, yeah, I think that um, that's why we we don't just put all our, our eggs in one basket and say, let's go for the main residence type market or just mm -hmm. new builds. We'll look at um, making sure that it's generally 40 to 60% of our business is landlords, investors and that type of person. Um, which is great because they're generally making more transactions. And then the other percentage is your main residence homeowner. Yeah, I love that. Mitigating the risk and, and keeping your finger on the pulse because the reality is, as entrepreneurs, there's opportunities in every market. You know, the prices are high, you sell. The prices are low, you buy. You know, it's very... There's a little bit more to it than that. There, I've just I've just saved you all five grand in the course. <laughs> I'll send the link to my PayPal, and you can you can sort me out later. But um, yeah, I, I think in terms of what's going to be possible in 2022, I think it's it's going to be game on. Um, it's an exciting time to be on, uh, you know, in the market. And um, one thing that we can all do in all this, you know, madness that's going on in the world is to get as liquid as possible and mm -hmm. to become as financially secure as possible and, and and focus on the things that we do have control on. And you've been an absolutely phenomenal guest and knew you would be. It's great to get to hear a little bit about your story as well as what you've achieved within, within property. Um, yeah, you're, you're certainly a man on a mission um, and it, it's been a good one. Thank you. No, it's been great to be here. Thanks for having me on. That concludes another episode of The Power of Property. If you've enjoyed today's content, please make sure you leave a review, subscribe to the podcast and share it with anyone you feel would get value from it. It really does make a difference. Until next time, goodbye.